This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, recently, a San Francisco federal judge gave the green light for hundreds of lawsuits, which claim Monsanto's popular glyphosate weed killer, Roundup, causes cancer. The allegations are that Monsanto has known and suppressed information that its herbicide is carcinogenic. Monsanto strongly denies, of course, any evidence proving the linkage between glyphosate and cancer. And today on Ringler Radio, we're going to dive into this controversial subject. And helping me do that is my good friend and Ringler colleague, Manny Valdez, from our San Diego, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles Ringler offices. And Manny has been with Ringler since 2002. He's a real veteran. Welcome to the show, Manny. All right, Larry. Thanks for having me. Terrific. And our special guest today is attorney Brent Wisner, partner in the Los Angeles office of Baum, Headland, Aristi, and Goldman PC. Brent concentrates his practice on pharmaceutical class action litigation, as well as toxic tort, whistleblower, and consumer fraud litigation. Brent and his colleagues are currently representing Dwayne Johnson, a plaintiff who filed a Roundup cancer lawsuit against Monsanto in 2016. So that's an interesting piece of the pie. Uh, Brent, you're, you're in trial right now, I understand. So welcome to the show. Hi, Larry. How you doing? Thank you for having me. Ter- terrific. Well, this is going to be an interesting discussion, uh, especially considering the fact that you're currently in trial on this particular case. So uh, you've got some in- some tremendous insight into where, where this thing is going, specifically in your case and hopefully generally for uh, for most of the cases and where it's going as a subject matter uh, into the future. So let's provide some context for our listeners, Brent, because homeowners and farmers have used Roundup as a weed killer for decades. Why don't you give us some background on the product and uh, the number of folks that appear to have been ad- adversely affected by it? How, b- how big is the universe of those affected? And tell us about what the product is all about. Well, Roundup was actually first approved in 1976, and it's been on the market for, for quite a while. The first about 15 years of it being on the market, it was based on testing out of a, a laboratory that ultimately ended up, we, we ended up finding out it was actually a fraudulent laboratory. It's called IDT. Um, so really, the first time that the EPA approved Roundup based on any sort of valid science it was actually 1991, and that's something a lot of people don't realize is that the first 20 years of the history of Roundup is, I mean, this isn't even dispute, was based on fraud. Uh, since the 1990s, the use of Roundup has skyrocketed, not just uh, agriculturally, but obviously because of GMOs and, and the use of it in agriculture. It's just, it's absolutely, I think it's tenfold than it was today than it was in 1993. Um, but also just in home users. I mean, people are using this around. We see commercials for it. People are using it as a weed killer. And what we've seen during that same period of time is uh, just a precipitous rise of people suffering from a specific type of cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And um, really didn't, no one really put all the pieces together until this international agency, 
the International Agency for Research on Cancer, part of the World Health Organization, they did a full analysis of the science and all the studies and all the data, and they concluded it's a probably human carcinogen and that it's associated with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that was in March of 2015, and that's when everything sort of changed. Uh, thousands and thousands of people started connecting dots about their cancer, which really didn't make any sense because they had no other types of exposures. And they reached out to us and other law firms, and that's kind of where we got to today. I believe there's 4,000 cases currently filed against Monsanto, specifically related to non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And that there's probably, and this is a conservative estimate, another maybe six or 7,000 lawsuits waiting to be filed. Uh, my firm, we represent several hundred of, uh, plaintiffs who've already filed, and in this case, Mr. Johnson. And Mr. Johnson's case is particularly interesting. His, uh, he, 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 he actually was using Roundup pretty aggressively as part of his job um, at a school district here in Northern California. And um, unfortunately, he, he got a, a really bad type of non-Hopkins lymphoma. Mm -hmm. I can tell you more about the story in a minute, but basically the simple fact is, is he's dying. And um, everyone agrees he's, he's not going to survive, you know, mm -hmm. max two years. And that's the reason why his case is the first one to go to trial, because in California, if you're, if, if you're, if you're, you're going to die, then you get to have an expedited trial. And that's actually why we're in the middle of trial right now. Well, it's a, it's a sad, sad case for sure. Uh, and we'll, we will delve into it a little bit more in, uh, a little bit later. Manny? Yeah, it, it sounds, you know, the, the Environmental Protection Agency uh, has gone back and forth about glyphosate, which is the, the key ingredient, as you mentioned, in, in Roundup, as a possible, possible uh, carcinogen. Can you expand a little bit more on that? Sure. I mean, the story with the EPA is an interesting one. Um, you know, when we go back to the 80s, uh, the EPA actually looked at some of the animal data and said, hey, this stuff is causing tumors in animals. And through a, a sort of bunch of machinations by Monsanto and hiring experts and getting, they were supposedly independent, but they were paid by Monsanto, they all testified to the EPA. And the EPA, through a lot of wrangling, decided, well, okay, fine, we won't make you do another test. Um, and that was in the 80s. Now, fast forward, you know, 20 years in the 2000s and then in 2010, in the most recent iteration, you know, the EPA is, is sort of stuck in a bad spot because they, they approved this product um, a long time ago, and they've been telling people it's safe. And if it turns out they were wrong, then they have to eat a lot of crow. And so what we see happening here is a, is a real sort of, uh, friction between the sort of vested scientists who, who want to be right and a lot of the academic and independent scientists who are saying, you're wrong. The EPA just convened a scientific advisory panel, and they got independent advice from different scientists from around the world to ask them, you know, is there really a problem here? And the scientific advisory panel told the EPA, yeah, you have a problem here. And, you know, you're not applying your own guidelines correctly to glyphosate for, for whatever reason. And then, of course, there's the backstory of we, we, we have an insight into the communications between Monsanto and the EPA, and so we have a sort of a uh, sure. we have a look behind the curtain. Sure, sure. That, that 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 happens in a lot of these types of cases. You're you're it's almost like a sixty minute show, you know, where you have a lot of the stuff coming out after the fact. But you know, and in light of that, Monsanto's defense team is actually saying that they're going to continue to defend the lawsuits and provide evidence proving there is absolutely no connection between glyphosate and cancer. And 
they're trying to show that the company's position is supported by more than 800 scientific studies and reviews. And I know a lot of times in, in these kinds of situations, it's the, the, def, the, you know, the defendant, those reviews and studies are sometimes, uh, you know, actually provided for and paid for by them. So there's, there's some question as to how objective they are, but, uh, what do you think about that, that whole defense? I mean, obviously they're putting up a fight. You know, and I, I've heard that 800 number thrown around quite a bit in the media. I've heard Mr. Partridge, he's their spokesperson, talk about that a lot. It's a very misleading number because when we talk about 800 studies, that's not on cancer. We're talking about 800 studies, uh, you know, on does it cause skin rashes and irritations to your eyes? Does it cause reproductive health and a whole bunch of other things that you test the product for? When it actually comes to cancer, we're talking about at most 12 animal studies and about seven studies that were done observing people in the world actually using Roundup. So that's the entire universe of science here when it comes to actual humans. And then there's some other studies of people, for example, they, they tested some people who were being sprayed in Colombia and Ecuador as part of the anti-cocaine um, initiatives where they were, they were aerial spraying Roundup all, all throughout the jungle. They actually measured the blood of people who were being exposed there and tested to see if they had DNA damage. So that's really the extent of the human data and even the animal data as it relates to cancer. And and the simple fact is, is when you actually look at that data, almost all of them show a problem. I mean, almost all. There's maybe three or four studies that are negative, but the rest of them show a problem. And they specifically show a type of cancer called non-Hoskins lymphoma. And even in the animal studies, and, and four of the five mouse studies, the mice who were getting glyphosate exposure had malignant lymphoma. I mean, we see a consistent occurrence in the signs of this very specific type of cancer. And, you know, Monsanto has said they're going to defend it. They're going to keep telling people that the science is there. You know, I've been in trial with them for three weeks, and pretty much their entire defense so far has been the EPA says it's safe, so it's safe. But that's not science. That's not a scientific defense. And We've had our experts going up there one after the other, walking through the studies with this jury. I don't see how any company can say in the face of this overwhelming amount of science that there's no evidence that it's carcinogenic. I mean, that's just patently false. And at some point, Monsanto is going to have a reckoning on it. Yeah. You know, Brent, just as an aside, what what exactly is manifesting itself in these in these cancers? Is, is it something that they ingested glyphosate? based on uh, the fact that it was in vegetables and things that they were eating, or is it a function of them using the weed killer and, and, and inhaling it? What, what, what is the essence of the argument about how glyphosate gets into the system to, to cause these kind, this kind of a lymphoma? Yeah, these cases are not about food exposures. This is about people who are spraying it, right? Like Mr. Johnson, just to give you a context, was spraying it for three to five hours a day you know, 50 times a year. And so we're talking about a lot of exposure here. And he was wearing a plastic suit and a mask and everything. He was trying to protect precautions. But, you know, a couple of times he got drenched head to toe. Mm. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are spraying or heavy users. We're not really talking about food exposures, although I'll be honest, that's something we're looking into. But that's a harder thing to look at because, you know, everyone eats regular food and it's in all our food yeah no question i think it's important to uh, just to identify that for the audience uh although you know they have reduced the age for colonoscopies now down to 45 and then you know some people are, are trying to figure out why 
there's there's an uptick in all that, and uh, you know, I'm sure that a lot of folks out there are looking into uh, environmental issues and, uh, and and chemical issues, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think your work is going to be going to be going on for quite some time. Well, I actually think it's really funny that you bring up the digestive issue because there's actually an emerging body of science focusing on the sort of microbiome in the human gut. And what we're finding out, and this is, this is cutting-edge stuff, so I mean, I mean, we're really at the early stages of learning about this stuff, but what we're finding out is that glyphosate actually kills off the good bacteria in our gut, allowing the bad ones to proliferate. Hmm. And if that's the case, it leads to something called dysbiosis. And, you know, everyone knows that dysbiosis in the human gut actually is statistically associated with lymphomas. It's also associated with a lot of other diseases and cancers, including prostate cancer. So, you know, it's one of those things in colon cancer. And so one of the things that, you know, it would be interesting, and this is an emerging area of science, is to see where this goes. And, it, you know, this, this would be a food exposure, right? Because people are eating the stuff on the food every day. Yeah. And that might be one of the things that's driving these, you know, everyone's having gluten problems and everyone's having digestive problems, celiac disease, you know, cancers in the gut and colon and prostate. And this actually might be maybe where this is coming from. But obviously that's a that's an issue down the road. Yeah, no, no question. And obviously, obviously there's no proof at, at, at all yet. But there is, as we all know, I mean, back 20, 30 years ago, there, there weren't so many gluten intolerant people or, you know, some of these issues that, that seem to be cropping up here. So it'll be interesting to see what the research shows. And I'm sure it'll keep, keep you busy and all of your cohorts busy in the legal profession. Manny? That's right. <laughs> Brent, obviously, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're in trial currently on Mr. Johnson's case, and there's thousands of lawsuits out there pending. Obviously, there was, there was a ruling that was allowing for these cases to move forward. What does it look like, not only for this case, but how many more of these cases are, are lined up? And if you can kind of expand on what the, uh, the near future looks like for trial purposes for all these different cases. Sure. And, you know, my firm and I myself are heavily involved in the sort of mass litigation that's going on. And we were part of that federal case that came down with that ruling uh, last week. So, you know, uh, it, it's it's hard for me to talk so much about other cases because right now I'm so focused on Mr. Johnson and making sure he gets his day in court. But I think it would be silly not to acknowledge the fact that this is the tip of the spear, right? This is the first case and there's thousands behind it. And if we can win here, you know, it sends a clear message to Monsanto, its shareholders, the biggest one being Bayer right now, mm-hmm. and tells them, hey, you know, this is your chance to, to stop this before it gets out of control. You know, set aside some money. Let's find a way to make these people who've been harmed by this product, make it right. Put a warning on and, you know, start the process of, of doing right by these people. And I think that's, kind of what's at stake in this case. It's not yeah. just Mr. Johnson. There's thousands of other people who are looking to see what happens here. No, yeah, no question about that. So let's take a quick break right now, and we'll be back in a minute right here on Ringo Radio with Brent Wisner. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. 
There's a Ringler consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. Check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, and along with my co-host, Manny Valdez, we've been speaking with special guest Brent Wisner, attorney and partner in the Los Angeles office of Baum, Headland, Aristi, and Goldman. Well, Brent, uh, you know, I guess many of our listeners may be wondering with what you've already spoken about, that why Roundup hasn't been recalled or why aren't there you know, carcinogen warning labels on the product? What's, what's going on in that respect? I understand uh, a judge in Sacramento blocked the uh, requirement of putting a label on. Give us some insight into that. Yeah, I mean, so what's happening here is a sort of interesting uh, friction between federal government and state government. So the federal EPA has not required any warning. And if Monsanto wants to put a warning, they have to do it voluntarily at this point. Um, in California, however, uh, in light of the decision by the, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, California has determined that glyphosate is a carcinogen known to the state of California to cause cancer. And because of that, um, we have a sort of interesting problem because, you know, California has determined that it causes cancer, but Monsanto is doing everything in its power to avoid having to warn. You know, one of the interesting things that we've seen, we have these internal documents, right? And, and just after Prop 65 was announced, you know, we have internal emails within Monsanto where, you know, they characterize the state of California as, quote, liberals and morons. I, think, I believe this goes on. But, you know, and he goes on to say, you know, we're being overrun by zombies. It's like a zombie apocalypse. We're being overrun. And he says the only way we can fix this is start taking them out in next year's elections. And this is in 2015 when they wrote this email. Mm-hmm. And we know what happened in 2016. I don't, I, whatever political party or what side you're on, is, you know, at the end of the day, you see that Monsanto is taking this issue not from a scientific perspective. They're taking it from a political one. And so there's a lot of politics involved in state government and federal government. And, you know, we're having to deal with the sort of fallout from that. I mean, at the end of the day, though, you know, because of the legal system and we, the way we have it, the responsibility doesn't fall on our government to make sure there's a warning. It actually falls on Monsanto. And if they choose not to warn, then people like me and Mr. Johnson are going to come into court and we're going to say, you didn't warn, now you have to pay. And so, you know, we're hoping this litigation spurs voluntary cooperation by Monsanto. I mean, it's not that long ago, in the 1970s, we were having this exact conversation about smoking. Yeah, no, no. I, it I, wasn't until... I draw, yeah, I draw the parallel, too, as, as you t- talk to me here. I, obviously, the parallel with smoking. You know, the other thing that, that comes to mind is, if you remember the movie A Civil Action, where there were clusters of certain cancers in certain areas where water supplies were, were supposedly uh, polluted by some chemicals, 
And that was a very difficult thing to prove, you know, in terms of clusters. Here you have a different approach, but sometimes it's not as easy to prove some of these things uh, for some reason out there in, in, in the legal environment. How do you feel that the environment today is different maybe than from 20 years ago in, in juries and others and even judges looking to uh, to uh, provide some guidance in, you know, on the issue of uh, causality? It's a good question. And, you know, there, there's really two different conversations when you're talking about causation. One is scientific causation. We know for a fact this causes cancer, right? And we actually only know that about a handful of things in the world, like radiation. You know, we know if you get a lot of radiation, you get cancer. But um, for, for sort of toxic exposures, it's, it's not that clear. And if you talk to any oncologist, they'll tell you there is not just one cause of cancer. There's many, right? And our lives are about controlling for those multiple things that could increase our risks, you know, eating healthy, diet, exercise, you know, not doing too much time in the sun, et cetera. And I think we just have to start thinking of glyphosate as one of those things. And sure, people can use it. I'm not saying it should be banned, but they should just know what they're doing when they use it. You know, people still smoke cigarettes today and it says it may cause cancer right there on the, on the label. And that's their choice. But I think it has to be given to people as a choice, right? It has to be something they consider. And just like I try to reduce my sun exposure so I can, you know, live longer and I try to eat healthy, you know, not always do it, but I try. You know, I, I also try to eat organic. and I try to reduce my exposure to glyphosate. But I have the luxury of knowing that. And I think everybody. Yeah, look, Brent, when, it, when, you, when you boil it all down, it, you want to have a, an informed consumer making choices that make sense. And, right. uh, you know, the information is important. So, uh, Manny, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I know, Brent, you'd mentioned that, you know, your focus right now is on Mr. Johnson and going out there and getting the best result for him. But as we've seen with a lot of these other kind of mass tort type cases that even if you're successful in, in getting a good verdict for him, oftentimes the defendant, like Monsanto in this case, isn't willing to step up and pay or to negotiate these settlements. What do you see happening if you are successful with settling of these other cases, or do you think that they're just going to continue to want to try them until some point in time? Well, you know, I'm only 34 years old, so I got a lot of time left to, to, to try these cases. <laughs> So, I mean, I mean, it's a bit of a game of chicken, right? Um, if we keep winning and keep getting these big verdicts, then they have to start, you know, weighing the costs of do they want to resolve them or do they want to keep fighting? And it, and, it, and, it, and it cuts both ways because if we keep, if we, if we haven't got a verdict yet, we might just lose. If we lose, you know, we're in trouble and we're going to have to regroup and try the next case. But if we prevail and it's a significant verdict, then Monsanto has to think about the consequences. And, you know, one of the things that happens is if you start getting these big verdicts, you see this in the talcum powder litigation, right? Mm -hmm. You get these big verdicts, and all of a sudden, your clients aren't willing to settle anymore. They, yeah. they all want their day in court, too. And then it becomes an impossibility. Then it becomes asbestos. Then it becomes, you know, these, sure. these massive $100 billion-type deals that... They go you know, go to appeal for years, you know. Yeah, it's it's a whole exactly. it's a whole stringing out, and uh, a lot of uh, unnecessary expectations are set. So, you know, that's that's something you'll have to deal with. But obviously, you know, you're you're plowing forward now with your case. Uh, it's 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 ongoing. It's going to be an interesting uh, bellwether case, as you said, and uh, you know, we look forward to seeing the result of that. But if uh, someone's been exposed to Roundup and and maybe suffering from you know non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. 
and maybe maybe senses some kind of connectivity, how would they get in touch with someone like yourself, Brent? How do they do that? So what they do is just give us a call at our office, Bomb Headland. Our number is 800-827-0087. Our person will talk to them, talk about their case, get some information, mm-hmm. send a whole packet of, of what we do, and, and you know, let the family members and the person who calls us decide if this is something you want to do. And if they do, we sign you up and we take you all the way to, you know, Great. where the story ends. And you have a website, I assume? That's right. Uh, the website is bombheadlandlaw.com, B-A-U-M-H-E-D-L-U-N-D-L-A-W.com. Terrific. And Manny, if someone wanted to talk to you, how would they yes, do sir. that? Yeah, best number is probably our 800 number, which is 877-231-3334. Terrific. And uh, if you go on ringlerassociates.com, you can find all the Ringler Associates around the country to help you with structured settlements and help you uh, with all the, the cases you might have. Uh, we're all out there, and uh, you can actually see uh, some things about us on, on, the, on the website, uh, f- even photographs, Manny, right? Your picture's on that. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. from uh, 2002, <laughs> if I remember correctly. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> and, of course, there's a lot of great information on the website. And uh, also, you're going to find all the Ringler Radio shows on ringlerassociates.com. You can also find them on ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or on iTunes, where you can download uh, this podcast that'll be uh, up on it fairly soon. And you can listen to Brent and talking about uh, the Roundup issue and, and the trial he's got. So with that, I want to say uh, it's been a pleasure, Brent. Thank you very much for being a great guest. Thanks a lot, Larry. It's great talking to both of you. And Manny, thanks for being a great co-host. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. Terrific. And all the rest of you out there, go have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. Today.